I have gotten to travel to Africa on two separate occasions and loved every minute of it. I've experienced rich culture and amazing food and saw God work in profound ways on both of my trips. And both times, I've gotten to go on an African safari. But the first time when I was in Botswana, our group was invited to stay on the reserve after uh, our safari was done for a barbecue. This barbecue was in the brush, outside, at night, in the dark, in the African wilderness. If you've never been on a safari, it's not like going to a zoo. It is a huge piece of protected land where animals can, for the most part, roam and act as they would if they were in the wild. Our hosts at the Safari Reserve cooked this amazing meal for us. They had this beautiful, long, banquet-style table for us. And halfway through dinner, our guides told us that occasionally, when they do these barbecues, they've seen leopards and cheetahs coming around looking for scraps of food to eat. And guess where my seat was on this banquet table? It was in the back, with my back to the brush, and to the wild animals, and to anyone and anything that could be behind me. And so most of the meal I spent like this. Every 30 seconds. Because I could hear things that were going on behind me, but I couldn't see them. The darkness had created this extra level of fear, and I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't see through it. I had no idea what was six feet behind me at any given point in the evening. And so I felt like my two options were to ignore it and pretend like there can't be a leopard creeping around behind me or have a breakdown in the middle of it. We do that, don't we? We think that when darkness surrounds us, we either need to figure out how to master it, we ignore it, or we have a breakdown in the midst of it. But none of those things will ultimately extinguish the darkness. It won't go away by ignoring it. It doesn't disappear through our willpower. Darkness isn't something that we can physically fight. It doesn't respond to aggression, frustration, or manipulation. There is one thing that extinguishes darkness. Light. We long for light, and we need it to live It's why we complain the day, the first day after daylight saving time, and it's dark too soon. And it's why we long for those summer nights where light extends well into the evening. That longing is where we find ourselves today, at the beginning of Advent. Advent begins in the shadow of darkness. In the longing for light, but in the reality of darkness. Advent is a season. It's the four weeks leading up to Christmas. It's not a countdown to Christmas. 
It's a time for us to experience the longing associated with waiting for the Messiah to come. It's an opportunity to acknowledge the darkness that surrounds us. To acknowledge that we need saving and a savior is coming. Advent is essential to understanding Christmas. So instead of rushing through these next four weeks, instead of going straight to Christmas, as I would prefer to do, I've been listening to Christmas music and watching Christmas movies since the beginning of November, maybe the end of October. But instead of doing that this year, instead of jumping straight to the gifts, the shopping, the jingle bells, the bright lights, the dinners, the parties, and even, yes, before jumping straight to full-on Christmas decorations. We're inviting you to sit in the season of Advent, to wait with God and to see what he has for you. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah this Advent season. This Old Testament book sets the stage for the coming Messiah. The people of God in the Old Testament needed a Messiah. They needed saving. They needed light just as much as we do today. So we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 9 with verses 2 and 3. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. We begin in chapter 9, but the Israelites have been through a lot at this point. So let's backtrack a little bit and try and understand what's going on and why that matters to Advent and to Christmas and to us. Isaiah is a prophet. In the Old Testament, before the Holy Spirit came down to all believers, God would speak through a specific person at a specific time to tell the people what he wanted them to hear. Isaiah was a man who spoke a vision to the people of Israel of a God-centered way of living and seeing the world. The people of Israel had walked away from God at this point. They were un incredibly unfaithful to him on every level they could be. They turned towards the things of this world and to human resources, their experts, their mystics, their scholars, to fix the world. They wanted to master their own darkness. They were dealing with military threats from the Assyrian Empire, an oppressive government, and total societal upheaval. They didn't trust God. Instead, they placed their trust in the promises and fears of this world. They longed for light in their darkness. The Israelites thought they could discover and produce enough light on their own, but they couldn't. So they were consumed by it. They were forced to decide where they would find their salvation, through themselves or through God. The people of Israel aren't much different 
than we are. When things are dark, do we believe we can end that darkness with intellect and innovation like the Israelites did? Or do we trust in the promises of a faithful God to show up in the midst of the darkness? The Hebrew word for darkness in Isaiah chapter 9 is hoshek and means literal darkness, misery, destruction, death, chaos, and ignorance. This, this is what they were facing. Yet they believed they could somehow deal with it all on their own. Through artificial, not sustaining, underwhelming means that would eventually lead them right back to where they started. Artificial light looks appealing. It seems faster. It gives us the illusion of control because it relies on our abilities. We believe that if we earn, perform, peel, pluck, drink, create, fight, marry, diet, buy our way, to fixing the world, to fixing our worlds, we'll be okay. We cover up, hide, lie, deny our way through darkness and chaos in life, trying desperately not to stumble around in order to get ourselves and our loved ones out of it. We tend to buy into the lie that there's a silver bullet out there that will magically make our lives complete, take away all hardship, send only good vibes our way, and create comfort and contentment. What is it for you? What do you turn to to give you a break from the darkness, even if it's just for a little while? How do you try and master your darkness? When I was little, I was pretty afraid of the dark. So to deal with it, I would pretend like it wasn't there. Or that I was somewhere else. I would hide under my covers and literally imagine myself somewhere else, facing the wall so that the darkness was all behind me. I could pretend that it wasn't actually around me. And I got pretty good at it. That idea followed me for a good chunk of my life. On that same trip to Africa that I mentioned at the beginning, we had to take a really small propeller plane from Johannesburg, South Africa to Habaroni, Botswana. And over the midst of this travel, there was a great deal of turbulence. Now, I love traveling, but I am slightly afraid of flying especially when there's turbulence. So to deal with what I thought was a lot of chaos in the sky that day, I did what I had trained myself to do when darkness came. I literally, as a 20-something, put a blanket over my head and pretended like I was somewhere else. So the darkness of the turbulence couldn't touch me. And then... I literally passed out and slept the rest of the way so that I didn't have to deal with or acknowledge this chaos and darkness that I was experiencing. 
We all do something. We try and figure out how to deal with the darkness in our lives. And those things, even if they're good or positive, are still sources of artificial light and won't fully give us what we need. I don't know what each of you walked in the door with this morning. I do know that as a society and a community, we are what seems like busier, more digitally connected, wealthier, more educated, more technologically advanced, informationally equipped than ever before. And yet, we're also lonelier, more anxious, more depressed, more addicted, conflicted, divided, greedier, and more selfish than ever before as well. So it's obvious that we haven't been able to fully master our darkness. And it's because the only thing that extinguishes darkness is light. And the light that we need is eternal. It's light that truly heals, convicts, sets free, brings hope, and it's not created from us. This light comes from outside of us, outside the world. So we do have a lot in common with the Israelites. The darkness is real, and we're unable to cure it, unable to master it on our own. So, God. God saw the Israelites' wanderings, and he sees ours. He felt their faithlessness, and he feels ours. And instead of walking away from both of us, he steps in to give us the one thing that we desperately need. Verse 2 of Isaiah 9 in the message says, For those who lived in the land of deep shadows, light, sunbursts of light. Out of the shadows came the ultimate light. This declaration was extremely good news for anyone who has tried to master their own darkness. You don't have to do it anymore. The voice translation of the Bible reads these two verses this way. The light of life has shined on those who dwelt in the shadowy darkness of death. And you, God, will make it happen. You bolstered the nation, making it great again. You have saturated it with joy. Everyone in it is in full delight in your presence, like the joy they experience at the harvest, like the thrill of dividing the spoils of war. True, everlasting light is the only fix for darkness. And verse 3 of this passage attributes that light to God and God alone. There is hope. Hope that just like a harvest provides for the people, God will provide the light we need in the midst of darkness. This entire chapter of Isaiah is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. The people of God who lived in war and government corruption were going to be rescued. They might have expected a literal king. They might have thought that God was going to step in and save them from their oppressive leaders right then and there. But God had much bigger plans in mind. He wasn't going to provide just circumstantial light for their current form of darkness. 
It was bigger than that. God was stepping in to redeem and reconcile all that sin had done to the world and to give eternal life through Jesus Christ. The Christmas story starts in the Old Testament to proclaim to us that light has come. Jesus comes as the light because we are too spiritually blind to find it on our own. Jesus became human and died because we are too morally ruined to be pardoned any other way. This emphasis on light and darkness comes from the belief that the world's hope comes from outside of it. And the light is here for you today. God invites us to choose to live with his eternal light no matter our circumstances. Tim Keller said that Christmas contains many spiritual truths, but it will be hard to grasp the others unless we grasp this one first. The world is a dark place, and we will never find our way or see reality unless Jesus is our light. I've experienced a lot of different kinds of darkness in life. Spiritual, physical, emotional, mental. And it's been very personal and very deep. But a different kind of darkness I've experienced over the past couple years is sitting with other people in their darkness as they hold profound pieces of darkness. And so in that, their darkness became my darkness. And I asked why on their behalf so many times. I begged for God to make the darkness disappear. And it hasn't fully yet. So many times I remember thinking in the midst of it, do I believe that God is who he says he is? Do I believe that this is true? Jesus told us in John that in this world we will have many troubles because it's broken. It's dark. It's filled with chaos, destruction, and death. But take heart, he says, because he has overcome the world. He is greater than the world. He is the truest answer to every human longing. Do you believe this is true? When we're in the dark, we have a number of options. And usually, we try and figure out how to master it first. Or we ignore it. Or we break down in the midst of it. We want to cling to whatever is the most stable thing around us. But God is the only truly, fully stable thing for us to cling to in the midst of darkness. The circumstances that I've walked through over the past couple years haven't been what I expected at all. But the circumstances don't dictate the source of the light. John 1, verses 9 and 14 in the message say this, The life light was the real thing. Every person entering life, he brings into light. 
the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. He moved into the neighborhood and he jumps into the darkness and he's right here with us. That's what Christmas is about and that's what Advent invites us to discover. God with us. He is our light in the darkness. Don't let this Advent season pass you by. Don't be too busy that you miss the invitation that Jesus makes to you in the midst of it to sit with him in the darkness and claim that he is the eternal light. The only thing that dispels light, that dispels darkness, excuse me, is light. And the only true light that fully breaks the darkness is Jesus. He has come. Light has broken through for all people. I'm going to close this morning with a devotional prayer from Omri Nowen that says this. People who have come to know the joy of God do not deny the darkness, but they choose not to live in it. They claim that the light that shines in the darkness can be trusted more than the darkness itself. And that a little bit of light can dispel a lot of darkness. They point each other to flashes of light here and there and remind each other that they reveal the hidden but real presence of God. They discover that there are people who heal each other's wounds, forgive each other's offenses, share their possessions, foster the spirit of community, celebrate the gifts they have received, and live in constant anticipation of the full manifestation of God's glory. May we be that people this Advent season. Amen.